other thing we're seeing in podcasting, particularly in the B2B space, is that it really holds a unique space in media. Podcasting and audio in general is a very intimate format. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing, sales, and operations be better at their jobs. Packed with inspiring keynotes and tactical breakouts, B2BMX has blossomed into a must-attend event for anyone in the B2B realm. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. With the series, we'll revisit some of our favorite sessions and have follow-up conversations with some of the industry's top leaders and innovators. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Episode 5 of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand Gen Report, and today I'm feeling pretty meta. Why? Because today's podcast episode is a panel focused on podcasting. During last year's B2B Marketing Exchange, I had the pleasure of interviewing a podcast consultant and producer and two B2B marketers who both took very unique approaches to the latest media trend. During our discussion, we hit on everything from winning C-level support, getting the budget you need to create a stellar product, and finding the right approach for a podcast that aligns with your broader content strategy. Let's tune in and hear their insights, and hopefully you get some inspiration and tactical tips to bring back to your team. So before we kick things off, I thought it would be helpful to just get a feel for the room. Um, Raise your hand if you are currently doing a podcast. Oh, good number of you guys, great. And how many of you are strongly considering doing a podcast? All right, good, so that kind of gives us a good feel. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you you got a good view of our speakers today, podcasting experts, um, people who come from different areas of the technology and B2B world, and taking different approaches to podcasting. So. I think a good way to kick things off is people know the what, podcasting. Um, but let's get to the heart of the why. Um, Tina, you know, you, you have a lot of experiences helping companies develop a podcast strategy. You have your own podcast. You're a widely considered thought leader on the subject. So why don't you start things off by sharing the why? Why is it making such an impact in B2B specifically? I think we get the broader you know, consumer lens of it. Sure, absolutely. Um, And I was really happy to see all those hands raised as well. So uh, I think we can kind of touch on just a a few of the the obvious things, well, maybe not obvious, uh, about podcasting. You know, one in three Americans listen to podcasts weekly, first of all. Um, The other thing we're seeing in podcasting, particularly in the B2B space, is that it really holds a unique and um, space in media. Podcasting and audio in general is a very intimate format. Um, I had the pleasure of being the lead interviewer on a documentary called The Messengers about podcasting and the impact that podcasts have. And interviewed more than 20 um, podcasting experts from all different walks of life. And every single one of them brought up the word intimacy. So this is one of the things that we're talking about 
dealing with trust in our marketing, huge, huge issue. Dealing with loyalty, brand loyalty, huge, huge issue. And podcasting allows us to go deep as, as marketers into developing relationships both with prospective clients and customers, deep in the relationship with current clients and customers, with influencers in the area, and also with the cultures of our own businesses at the same time. And it's, you'd be hard pressed to find another medium that is so flexible in, in doing that. So that's for me in terms of the relationship building, because I don't know about you guys, I'm sure you are like myself, in for the long haul when it comes to business and developing relationships that last. Anybody can put, out, put clickbait out there, but building a brand that lasts is a whole other animal and podcasting is a, certainly the way to do that. Excellent. So um, Kara and Dave, I mean, obviously as marketers, your goal is to build those relationships and establish that trust, you know, with your, with your audiences. And, you know, you're both Killer Content Award winners for your podcasting efforts, which is, you know, fantastic. But um, let, let's hear a little bit about your goals and your objectives. Um, Kara, let's start with you. What made you decide that podcasting was the next box to check, so to speak, in, in your content strategy? And how does that fit in with the bigger picture? Well, it really started because I was obsessed with podcasts. <laughs> I was listening to a ton. Um, you know, I was a pre-serial podcast listener, which I feel like is a real claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I listened to so many already. And at the time, um, I, I've done now two podcasts, one for my last company and now one for Zayas. And at the time I started the first one, I was doing what we called expert interviews. Uh, it was a Q&A series on our blog with really smart people in the space. And it just made sense to me that I'm already recording the audio of this discussion with this smart person. All we have to do is just invest a little bit more in you know, a nice microphone and something uh, to some editing to create this series. And it, it was just an obvious jump to me. Um, but I did have to convince the, the, my team that this was something we should do. Um, and it was a bit of an experiment at the time because this was about five years ago and not a lot of brands had a podcast and it was, it was a little unusual at the time. So, um, you know, I was really doing it because it just made sense to get more bang for the buck out of the content we were already doing and it turned into a huge success and then obviously I ended up doing it again. But it, it was just logical to me that you're already doing interviews with smart people and, you're, and thought leaders in your space. Why not just turn that into a podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And Dave, you, you speak to the retail community, which there's a lot of thought leadership out there. There's a lot of content out there. So what, what made you decide to experiment with the format as well? Because you take, you take a bit of a different approach with your first podcast series. So I'd love for you to dig into that a little bit more. Sure. So uh, <clears throat> I, I had a session earlier today where I... Uh, decried my struggles with storytelling and B2B marketing, you know, uh, and podcasting three or four years ago was an obvious way to do that, right? If you do it right and you can tell a story and engage people from episode to episode, I thought this is a way to get intimacy, to get leads ultimately, but that's, that was way down on our list. It was really about finding a way to do storytelling. And so, um, yeah, we created a podcast that was serial in nature, meaning serialized stories, not like serial, the podcast. 
he's guilty. And um, <laughs> that's, that's a different panel um, discussion. Um, no, I don't. Even, I don't know. I was just kidding. Um, don't be mad if you don't agree, Adnan. I don't know. Uh, but um, yeah, it was really about finding a way to do better, tell better stories, and it worked. You know, we got really good engagement, and people were looking for the next episode and the episode after that. So mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did you have to do any convincing to? leadership, because I know with any marketing tactic, any new trend, it's, well, what's the value? We're going to be putting X amount of dollars. What's going to be the potential return? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, my case is probably unique. I'll be very brief, but it cares, right? It, it, the, the team has to get on board. We were also, it was 2015, mm -hmm. so it was right mm -hmm. around when Serial started, started to pop. So the team was more difficult to sell than the CEO. CEO got a passion behind it, which made everything else easier. He happened to be a podcast fan uh, back in the day, so that greased the skids. I think today your challenges will be less difficult than they were four or five years ago selling people on the notion. But back then, okay. it was uh, getting the team on board was actually more difficult than the CEO. Okay. And, and Tina, I'd love for you to weigh in here. Is it getting easier for you know people to get that buy-in and support? And if not, I mean, what, what steps can marketers take to getting that buy-in and alleviating any po possible concerns, right, to, to Kara's point, the production, the time it takes to create a successful podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what are you seeing from that perspective? Uh, well, no, I think we are seeing it being easier because it, it's become more popular. Like, how many of you right. actually listen to podcasts on your own? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. That was kind of a gimme question. Right. I just wanted the satisfaction of seeing all you raise your hands, to be honest. Right. But uh, um, I, I, it is getting easier because it's more familiar. It doesn't seem fringy anymore. The stats are getting better. The, uh, the data is getting better. We have things like the Nielsen case studies that have been done. More than 11 case studies have been done through Nielsen on podcast advertising and showing that way more likely, people are way more likely to buy after listening to a podcast and hearing about a product, the brand stickiness of things, and, uh, and, and the relationship uh, that, we, that we have with, with listeners. It, it just drives traffic, and we're finding that with all your shows, you know, it just drives traffic, and so the, it's becoming easier because the proof is in the pudding, and mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like an outlier anymore. But uh, you see your other question, you know, what do marketers need to do? Mm -hmm. I think that um, you need to take an integrated approach. Podcast isn't something you slap on, it's something you integrate with your content marketing strategy. You integrate it with uh, your your. Uh, influencer marketing, huge for influencer marketing, huge for building internal culture, huge for being able to take the pieces of content and repurpose them 16 different ways from Sunday. And if you can demonstrate that kind of content strategy using the podcast, then it's going to be easier to slide it in and have it become an integrated part of what you're doing rather than this weird outlier band-aid thing. Yeah, or, or just making it seem like you're just trying to capitalize on the latest trend, but exactly. there's really no thought or value to the listener. Yeah. Um, so you, you touched on influencers, and I think you know that's a, a really great connecting point because it is a strong use case, a good way to you know get podcast guests. You know, Carrie, you've taken that approach. Dave, you have as well. Um, and, and part of a successful influencer strategy is maximizing the value and impact of those relationships. And I think the same could be said for podcasts, right? Like that's one tactic or that's one format. So how can companies 
maximize the impact and reach of these podcast episodes, not just from like a promotional and discoverability standpoint, which that's very important, but you know, how do we reuse and, and optimize all this great content for you know, other campaigns or, or other initiatives? Take a shot. You. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This guy down here again. Yeah. Take advantage of every second of that podcast. You have an audio file that ends up editing. You start it out at 40 minutes. You edit it down to 20. You've got 40 minutes of content in there. And uh, one of the magics, and your company, Alicia, Content for Demand, helps me with this a lot, is even just transcription. Right? You don't think about this and you think, oh my God, I gotta listen to 40 minutes to find the 30 seconds that I wanna excerpt for a tweet or excerpt for this. Transcribe it. You instantly have written content that you can then leverage. Take those 30 second clips and turn those into social media posts. Tina was just talking about that. Every single thing that you do can spawn five to 10 different assets within that podcast, and if you slice 40 minutes, you got a whole bunch of one minute uh, assets that you can leverage. Uh, I made the mistake of the first time around of not doing that, and I regret it greatly, that I just didn't take advantage of all the richness that you have. You've got 40 minutes of good content and quotes or stories that have been told. Take advantage of them, for sure, take advantage of them. It's a big miss if you don't. Yeah. Mm. And Carrie, you take an interesting approach at your company for how you actually use the podcast as a way to continue the relationships with the guests. So I'd love for you to share that in a little more detail with the guests, because I think, I think that's a really interesting approach. Yeah, I um, was struggling to prove the value of the podcast, as we, you, know, you might expect. Downloads are great, but who are these people that are listening? We have no idea. Um, so I was getting pushback on that, and I came up with the idea of, let's use the podcast as an account-based marketing play. So we not only have our customers on the Empowered Marketer, so you know, our target audience is e-commerce and B2C marketers. So we're, uh, we kind of started out, it was easiest to get customers on, so that was how I started. But my goal was, I want target accounts on the podcast. So when we, um, you know, sales comes up with their list of target accounts, they share it with me, and they say, hey, here's the most interesting brands on here that are ignoring us. <laughs> they are not <laughs> answering our emails. You know, we can't get anywhere with them. Maybe, Carrie, you'll have some luck. So I actually then reach out. And I'm not choosing just any brand that's on our you know, target account list. It has to be somebody who I'm really interested in talking to and I feel like has a good story. So I'm not lowering the editorial standards at all for the show. But I can often reach out and my ask is totally different than the sales team. I'm saying, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your business and I want to learn about you from a, you know, a really personal and um, you know, one-on-one -on -one perspective. I want to spend an hour talking to you about what you do. So that's been incredibly effective in building these relationships with prospects that, like I said, were totally ignoring us before. Um, and so I make sure I handle every step along the way. I schedule it. I do the research. I ask the questions. Um, you know, I do outsource the editing. But every interaction that this person has is with me personally. So they come away from it and they think, oh, Kara, Kara was great. <laughs> That's my goal anyway. Uh, Kara was great to work with. I really, really had a good experience with the Empowered Marketer. And then after the episode is published, after I send them, you know, here's some tweets to share. Here's, you know, this link that you can embed on your site if you'd like. 
Um, then three days later, our sales rep reaches out and said, hey, I loved your episode. If you're interested, now we can talk about our software. And it's a great way to continue that conversation and really spark a conversation that was kind of dead beforehand um, and create something positive um, with, with a prospect. Yeah, and, that, and that's really proving the tangible impact on the business. Exactly. Which is critical. It takes it away from what are your download numbers to how many conversations started from the empowered marketer. I can show direct revenue influence from that content. Yeah, that, that's excellent. Yeah, I'm stealing that idea. Now you can all steal it. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brilliantly, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And, and that kind of brings us to the broader topic around measurement and you know determining the impact. Of course, that that's a very sophisticated, I think, approach to looking at podcasting as part of your content strategy. But Tina, I mean, what else should companies be? looking at as they're trying to gauge the impact of you know, their, their podcasts? Um, how can they, you know, because there are a lot of podcast outlets out there, mm -hmm. there are different channels. So how can they ensure that they're, they're maximizing that reach and how do they close the loop from a reporting standpoint, right? Because you want to make sure you're getting, you're getting those results that you need for investing the time in, in doing podcasting. Sure, and this again comes, comes back down to strategy and coming back down to what's going to make sense for the company and, and, and for your reach. And there are a lot of places that you can put your podcast. Um, you know, there's lots and lots of channels. They're expanding every day. There's some really interesting things happening in the, in the industry with things like discoverability, monetization. <laughs> Um, all that, all that being said, uh, what companies really have to to take a look at is, you know, are you going to take an approach like what Kara did, which is a brilliant approach to, you know, using when you are basically setting yourself up, your company up as a basis for influence. You are influencing the influencers at that point, or you are influencing your industry at that point. It's a unique position position to be in. And podcasting is uh, a different medium than radio or television in that, as a guest, just switching, flipping the script a little bit, when you go on a, the show as a guest, that podcaster is your potential colleague. When you go on a television show or a terrestrial radio show, that's generally not going to be the case. So, you know, whether you are a host to the guest or your guest to the host, there's a relationship to be built there that is invaluable. And then leveraging the content afterwards you know, your metrics and everything may be slightly easier to measure because when you leverage the content into those other media platforms, into static ads, into SEO on your website through posting really excellent show notes or the transcript or a combination of such. Um, and, and not doing it just once on a campaign, but podcast content can be used on an evergreen basis, which is another huge advantage of it. So you, you know, people don't really get bored or aggravated hearing about, oh, this quote or that quote or this tip or, you know, you can, you can really stretch out every single episode and a, tr a tremendous amount of value. Um, and then there's always a lot of emphasis placed on downloads. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of podcasts are listened to streaming. So that is, you got to kind of weigh those two things out. And there's a few little techniques that you can use, you know, putting special tags on, you know, putting it into retargeting, you know, putting it into other places so that you can grab, a, a, you know, more data in, in what you're doing. But, you know, it really is endless what you can do by having the podcast in there. And there is a, there's plenty of data to be drawn just from what's available in the platforms that we use, as well as in the leveraged 
social media and email and website content that comes from it. Has your marketing team created some killer content? Are you always trying to take a new and creative approach to your campaigns? Give your team members the kudos they deserve by submitting for the ninth annual Killer Content Awards. Submit for one or more of the 19 categories, but hurry, the nominations close November 1st. If you're selected as a finalist, you get to attend the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange for free. Go to b2bmarketing.exchange slash awards for more information, or simply click the link in the show notes. We hope to see you in Scottsdale. And to kind of flip the script a little bit, you know, we're talking about measuring impact and reach. Um, you know, beyond producing your own podcast series, I know on our content call you, you talked about how some companies may just want to, you know, be a sponsor of, yeah. of a podcast, you know, get get brand leverage that way. So what's the value there? And is there a way to do both successfully? I mean, okay. how, does that, how does that look for, you know, the average B2B company? Well, it, one of the things that they've seen in the research so far is that podcast advertising um, is about four times uh, more effective than static ads. And that's a pretty good size number. Pretty good size number. Some of the, the work that's been done, something like um, the work they've done on national brands, 118% uh, more likely to purchase a new flavor of a national brand soft drink after hearing about it on a podcast. <laughs> you know, so those are some of the things that Nielsen has researched and, and found. So the advertising, uh, the two nice things about the advertising is that host red ads in particular, as opposed to what's called dynamic ad insertion, which is kind of automated, um, like a, more like a commercial, people tend to tune out a little bit more. But host read ads on a podcast, because they're coming from a source that is already trusted, uh, are far more effective in causing an impact in somebody's buying behavior. And so that's a big, a, a big advantage to advertising on a podcast. You can really get niche into a podcast and into an audience, also a huge advantage that you may not have on another channel. And um, I also think that, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. That happens. We'll find it. We'll find it. We'll find it. <laughs> but you look like you had something you wanted to add on to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that that is something that I think people often get hung up on is the, the download numbers. Like, oh, we have to get yeah. this so many, so many numbers. Mm -hmm. When you can create a podcast that is incredibly targeted, or you could yes. buy an ad on a podcast that's incredibly targeted. There's a podcast out there for the specific sub-segment of people that you're trying to reach. And it's okay if you're only getting you know, a couple hundred people to listen, if they're the right couple hundred people. Exactly. It doesn't matter if you're not getting you know, a million downloads like an NPR podcast. That's not really going to happen for, for most B2B right. brands, but it can be incredibly worthwhile for you. I remember what I was going to say. There oh, you, you remember. Yeah, it's cheap. It's so, cheap. <laughs> com compared to a lot of other forms of advertising, it's relatively inexpensive because podcasters are currently hungry to get started having sponsors. So mm -hmm. there are value exchanges that you can create uh, to to boost a podcast that already has a listenership and may want to increase their reach. And you may be able to do value exchanges and sponsorship rather than actual cash. Um, and then again, the cash side of things is going to be in the great scheme of things, um, probably less than, you know, say paying for a post from an Instagram influencer or uh, something like true. that. Yeah. It's six That's... figures sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, to that point, you know, I don't know if you guys think this is good or bad, but we're about $50 in MQL. 
uh, through our podcasting. That's one of our lowest cost uh, MQL acquisition things that we do. Uh, so if that, I don't know if that sounds yet. That's cheap for us. Does that sound cheap to you? 50 bucks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. You got the validation. Yeah. No, no, I don't know. You know I don't know. I'm just, yeah. but that, that I think is about our cheapest acquisition thing that we do. Yeah. Even just the cost of production for a podcast versus say a video or yes. um, just it's, I do both. I do a video series in addition to our podcast and I'll tell you which one's more pricey and takes a lot more time. Um, the podcast, despite being, um, it might seem intimidating if you haven't done it before, but it is possible to get into a flow and really kind of like crank them out once you figure out your process. Um, and once you say work with a really great outsourced audio editor, which don't make my mistake and teach yourself audio editing and spend hours and hours doing it yourself mm-hmm. when you can pay someone who's really good at it to do it quickly. Right. And Dave, you, you had a lesson learned through that process with your first series, right? Because yeah. you were taking a very granular NPR-like approach. So, I mean, what were some lessons learned for you as you're going through that journey? Yeah, production values. Um, <clears throat> it's an interesting dichotomy, I th- or paradox, yeah. right? You want it's easy. It's relatively easy to have high production values on a podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a quiet room, a decent mm-hmm. microphone, Audacity's free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and somebody with some reasonable uh, sound editing skills, and you can put together a pretty high production value podcast. And I say pretty. Tina's probably cringing. No, actually, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Right. So, right. Relatively speaking, yeah. you're not going to get this American Life quality out of mm-hmm. it, but, but you might not need that. But yeah. you don't need that, right? Yeah, that's a great point. That's right. Yeah. That's what I, you know. We're our, our podcasts are turning over three to five hundred MQLs an episode at fifty bucks more or less an MQL. So do the math, right? And that's acquisition. That's writing. That's editing. That's recording. All of those things. Thanks. Large part to you, Alicia. Thank you for all of your help on that. Um, and we, um, so, but the first one was uh, seven to ten times that. We had we hired a SAG uh, union, a Screen Actors Guild actor as the host. We did the sound editing in a studio in downtown Hollywood. You know, it was, we were trying for high production values, but we went way over the board. And the good news is I completely underutilized content after we produced it all. So it was a a win-win. It was fantastic. Lessons learned, you know, it was 2015. I was, you know, 26. So what did I know? What? What? I okay, whatever. Perfect. Yeah, I was too young. That's it. I was too young to He's know. He's young better. and naive. Right. Yeah. You took the opposite <laughs> approach to me, where I was like, "How can I do this as cheap as possible mm-hmm. and yes. still make it look good?" Because um, I was deaf. Because I was doing something that was experimental, um, and I was tentatively given uh, permission to do it. I was like, "I'm going to do this on mm-hmm. like no dollars," yeah. <laughs> which again was why I taught myself audio editing, which was not great. Yeah. But then I learned the value of like, okay. You, it's okay to have a budget. It's okay to ask for a budget, and um, you know if you're going to invest in it, do it well. Don't don't be cheap about it. So, yeah, I think, and I think there's a middle ground. There's, yeah, right? yes, yeah, clearly right. you should be right. somewhere between somewhere the two of us. Yeah. I just I was the opposite. I was terrified if it wasn't awesome. I was I was worried I wouldn't. You know, podcasts were still early. You know, mm-hmm. I was worried that people wouldn't listen. I wouldn't get the downloads, and they would never let me do it again. Mm. So I went all in and spent more money. Instead of doing 10 episodes, I could only afford to do four, Mm -hmm. but they were really, really high quality uh, episodes and the whole company was proud of them. 
And you know, we did good, but again, I underutilized the content and didn't take advantage of all the extended metrics that you guys have certainly talked about. So. Lessons learned. Yeah. And now welcome back to A Tale of Two Podcasts, where you join our two intrepid heroes <laughs> as they find their way through the forest and the jungle. That's Please right. learn from podcasting. That's right. That's right. Well, and I think it's a constant balance for any content team or you know content strategist, right? Because we wear so many hats and you know there are so many campaigns and initiatives that to juggle. So it's how do we do this well, but then how do we do this? cost effectively, especially if we're just testing it. Because it's a domino effect, right? Like if you're doing that editing all on your own, that's time you can't spend elsewhere. Or mm -hmm. you know, that's time taken away from something else. So I think it's like figuring out that balancing act between let's do this right versus let's figure out how to get this done as quickly and efficiently as possible. So I want to uh, go back to a, a point that was brought up earlier. Kara, I think it was you, um, talking about finding, reaching that right audience. And I think it ties to David Meerman Scott's keynote this morning around fandoms. Mm. You know, every, you know, person has a fandom or a tribe, so to speak, that they belong to, whether it's, you know, a band, whether it's, you know, they're, they're a foodie, you know, something along those lines. So it's finding the right audience and creating an experience that they love. And we hear about this in the B2C world a lot. It's finally starting to trickle over into, into B2B. And, um, I'm curious about how we do that in B2B, in podcasting, right? Because we, we do want to create this buyer-focused thought leadership content. We want to create valuable content. But is that different in, through the lens of podcasting, right? I mean, we think about our personal lives, listening to Serial and all these other you know, fun, immersive shows, whether it's true crime or, or something else. I mean, the, the dynamics or, or the you know, best-in-class tactics seem to be a little bit different. And Tina, let's start with you, and then we can kind of go down the line. Well, I think what you're pointing to here essentially comes down to don't be boring, right? Yeah, yeah. basically. <laughs> and, and, so before anything else, any good podcast, just like any good piece of content, needs to be entertaining. And I was in the session earlier today on influence marketing with Lee... Odin. Odin, yep. yeah. Brilliant. And... You know, we talking, you know, don't don't be boring. It has mm -hmm. to be infotainment. And no, you don't have to go and be, you know, as I like to say, Shecky McShuckerson and you know, you get all like crazy with it, but you do need to be entertaining. And that's what comes down to good content planning. And so when you and your team are planning your content for the quarter or the year or however you're doing it, and the themes that you want to be addressing and the the pain points for your audience that you want to be addressing, the goals that you want to be addressing. You know, if you're looking to do a podcast, putting that through that lens, how do we make that entertaining? So Tim Washer was talking in his keynote on humor, right? The different ways of creating juxtaposition, different ways of putting things into um, new scenarios. There are so many different techniques that you can use to make content, even the driest, most boring content, really interesting for your audience. Um, and one of the, the main things that I would say is, is, is to, to use this as an opportunity to get creative and it will trickle over into all of your other content marketing and make it better at the same time. So entertainment always comes first and then it's educate, inspire, and all those other things we wanna do uh, underneath that. Ed entertainment always, always, always comes first. So a couple of uh, things to think about producing segments, 
Mm. Think about it like a television show. Think about it like a television uh, a talk show or something like The Daily Show or mm -hmm. Stephen Colbert or one of those. They have segments. Segments are really important to use. Um, think about the content you have and how you would break it up and how would you make those pieces um, entertaining for somebody who didn't know anything about your industry. Take the jargon out of it, right? Um, so those are some things to think about as you're developing this kind of brave new land of, of podcasting and um, you know, drawing analogies between things. Putting your podcast into seasons. You don't have to go on and on and on and on and mm -hmm. on for every single week or several times a week forever. You can design your show to be in seasons, like a television show. And you create that social contract with your listenership as you're developing your show. These are all things that we think about when we're designing a show. And they can be fluid as time goes on. So that's also a helpful thing to remember. Everything can change. Mm. And then, so okay, let's go to you next then. So how did, how did you kind of strike that balance between targeting the right people, you know, speaking to them in a relevant way, but still, still making it entertaining and making it, you know, memorable? Because again, there's so much content out there, mm -hmm. especially now with podcasting, it's kind of exploding. So, you know, what, what are your approaches? What has worked well for you? And what have you maybe tried that maybe didn't work so well? Yeah, uh, we, we were talking about this a little bit about how when you're listening to a podcast, um, you know, you try something new, someone tells you about a new show, you listen to it and you give it how long? Like how many, how many minutes of you being bored and uninterested before you're like, eh, I don't like this one, and you just move on. So, um, you know, I really, really focus on making sure that especially like the first, the intro is really well written. Um, it's really gonna hook people and I'm going to tell them what they're getting because it is an interview podcast and interview podcasts are done a lot and you mm -hmm. can't make yours boring. So you have to tell people, what are they getting up front? Okay, this is the topic we're talking about today for my audience maybe, you know, we're gonna be talking about Instagram marketing and how this specific brand that you've heard of and you know, uh, wanna be like is doing Instagram marketing. You're gonna learn the secrets from their head of marketing. Are you in or are you out? Right. And that's kind of like how we get people from the start. Um, and we do do segments, which is fun. Um, I make sure to ask people, um, I, I do a whole segment on failure, where I ask people, tell me about some time that you failed and what was your story? And that always, I love getting stories out of people, not just like, you know, whatever marketing tactics they're sharing with me, but a real story with some emotion. And they'll share with me like, oh, we, I took a risk on this specific thing and it didn't go well and here's what happened. It was very dramatic and I felt so bad, but I learned this thing from it and moved on and I, I became better from it. So I love asking those kind of questions that really pull something different out of people that aren't just, yeah, like, well, tell me about your business. Right. Well, <laughs> you have that journalism history too, so yes, that, that kind yeah. of comes out, I'm sure, yeah, a lot. I like, I like to get people to tell me things that are maybe slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> And then a quick follow-up question for you. So you say you have segments. So are there mm -hmm. like a few core questions that you ask with every guest? Yes. So okay. I ask everybody about failure. Um, I ask everybody about how their role has changed in the past five years. Because as marketers, we all know it changes all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so failure, change. And then I generally ask people um, to make predictions as well at the very end of the podcast. So like, what do you think is coming next? What do you think is the next big tactic? And I've gotten such a variety of answers, and you know, we were talking about repurposing that content. Over time, if you keep asking these segments, you can put together a highlights episode mm -hmm. where you pull those best answers from your past 50 episodes, and you can say, here's the predictions episode, or here's the failure episode, and we can put together all of these different segments in one. 
which is good for at the end of a season or you know during yeah. the holidays, for example. And, yes. You know, it may <laughs> yeah. be difficult to get listeners. That's great. Um, Dave, how about you? I mean, how do you kind of strike that balance of you know being relevant, being thoughtful, and being entertaining? Because it can go either way. Yeah. So we've done two, mm-hmm. and I think again, lessons learned. I. Next one, the next one we do, if we do it together, I want to be, uh, we, we sell and market to retailers, I want to be retail adjacent. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's an opportunity. We did it in our first podcast, and we did this part really well, is we did our own hosted, uh, host-read ads within the podcast. So we told the story, and one of the podcasts tells the story of a woman who hid in the jungles of the Congo for 90 days with her children during a civil war. You know, it was an amazing, compelling story. Um, had nothing to do with retail software, but in the middle, we talked about how our, our company embraces the company that empowers her to, mm-hmm. to, 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 to be more successful. So we told an ad about philanthropy that built our brand um, while we told the story of these people who were uh, uh, helped by retail charities, yeah. uh, to oversimplify. So I think. That's a little bit far afield. That would be a difficult thing, particularly at the high expense to justify, I think, as a starter, but adjacent to your industry. That opens up so many more possibilities to be entertaining and then put your business in the middle. Do the host read ads, tell your stories, have your stories be germane to the industry adjacent story that you're telling. I think you'll win people over. We had really high engagement on that. Uh, like I said, it was just expensive, but mm-hmm. so tone it down a little bit, yeah. and I think I think that's a winning formula. I really do. Okay. All right, so I have one final question, and then I think we have a few more minutes where we can open up to questions, hopefully. So um, you know, we talked a lot about best practices, you know, lessons learned. So I want to go down the line again. Um, Tina, of course, based on your own work and your work with um, you know your partners and you both, based on your own experiences. What do you think, for everyone in this room, what are the key gotchas about creating, promoting, you know, optimizing a podcast? What, what are the things, the sneaky little things that maybe you don't think about up front when you're developing a strategy that may pop up that you think they, everyone in the room should be aware of? Uh, one, of the, one of the key things is to take the time in the beginning to plan your content well for longer than you think you need to plan it for. Um, and that's, that's a big one. There's a big problem in the industry called pod fade. The average podcast only lasts seven episodes. So you can really, if you don't plan your content well and you don't have people helming it that are good hosts and have those kind of hosting skills um, then you know you're going to need to actually either bring in a professional host or have people kind of train up your hosts because that can, a host is going to make or break your show. Period. End of story. That energy, that attention, the ability to do that. People don't listen to a show that doesn't have a good host. So if you guys don't have somebody on your in your staff who's you know obviously like Kara who is some chops and like really knows what she's doing. Um, then you know, partner up, and then eventually you can bring people up in the organization to learn how to host. Uh, but you don't have to wait for that to happen. That's a really, really big thing. Nobody likes a boring podcast. Mm. Okay, how about you? I would say, yes, plan for sure. If you don't have a plan, you don't have the target audience in mind, you don't have an original and not boring idea in mind, that's really bad. 
equally as bad is getting so hung up on making it perfect and obsessing about every detail that you have never actually launch the podcast. Because <laughs> I've known those people as well. <laughs> um, you're either, I feel like, going for it without a plan or planning so hard that you never do it. So um, there is a hard thing in podcasting of putting yourself out there. You have to be okay with listening to the weird sound of your own voice. Um, which I know a lot of people have problems with. I know I did. Um, but just being comfortable to, yeah, be vulnerable, be able to make mistakes and say, it's okay if my first episode wasn't amazing. You should get better and better over time. Um, oh gosh, I, I'm going to not remember who said this, but I heard it at a, the podcast movement conference. Um, some very smart podcaster who I'm sorry for not giving him credit said that if you're not embarrassed by your first episode, uh, looking back on it, then you have not improved enough. Dave Jackson. Oh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. I was like, yeah. So I that really stuck in my brain. Clearly, not the name because I'm terrible with names. But that I found really important is that you should continue to iterate and improve, and you can't wait until you're perfect because there is no perfect. That's right. Dave. Yeah, I would just uh, build on both of those themes. Good host is important. With a, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? And don't be afraid to put it out there. And then, as I've said a couple of times, uh, don't fail to take advantage of all that good content. There's so much richness in there. Take advantage of it as many ways as you can. And then guess what? That helps justify it. That helps your metric. It's not just downloads and listens. And uh, pick your platform, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, uh, uh, Google Play, right? Pick the, pick the big ones that you want to get out there. Don't underestimate that just for discoverability and reach. It's, uh, it's a big part of the problem. And I think to just put a bow on it, I, I think really because some of the key points that were shared today, um, what really comes to mind for me is don't underestimate the power of authenticity. Mm. Um, you know, again, without risking the quality of the content, you know, the production value. I, th I think there's something to be said about listening to a podcast, hearing the personalities, maybe hearing the quirks or the imperfections, especially if it's an I listened to an interview with uh, Conan O'Brien, who has a new podcast, and he said that he spent so many hours editing it, re-editing, making sure it was perfect, and he was like, that authenticity, that experience of having those conversations, having, making those mistakes was lost, and he wanted it to be just a conversation. So I, I think, you know, even if you're taking that storytelling approach, there, there's still a way to let that authenticity shine through. Um, oh, shoot, we only have a minute left. Can we do one question, maybe? All right. Um, let's go with you for here. Um, so my question is related to how you get people in various locations recorded and recorded well. Because I know you guys talked about quiet room, good mic, but like, what if your client doesn't have that? Mm. How do you, Great question. How do you I actually send out um, a whole doc with suggestions <laughs> to my guests um, with very specific instructions. And I will actually remind them the day before or the hour before to follow those instructions and look at that doc, because we all know that people maybe didn't look oh, at it. They love it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I say, please sit in a quiet room. Please use hardwire internet. And please um, you know, use a headset if possible. And that generally sounds way better. Um, and I think that your listeners also will give you a little leeway in terms of the yeah. guest's audio, as long as yeah, your audio is good. Yep. Yeah, directly through downloads, through subscriptions. So the way that we track people is we ask them to subscribe through our content. 
So we send them the emails and we send them the links. Sure, they can find it elsewhere. We consider that bonus, but the direct attributions comes through subscriptions through our outreach. It's a little side doorway. So it's actually, we're under, I'm probably underestimating or, or overestimating the cost because there are things that are happening that we're not aware of through other platforms, but the subscriptions right through, we say send, send us an email and we'll send you the link to the next episode. Great. Well, we're officially out of time, but we are going into our networking reception now. So I encourage you all to, you know, stop these guys. They're so sharp. They have great experiences, a lot of lessons learned, um, and they're a lot of fun too. So I would grab them and say hi. Um, thanks everyone so much for listening, watching. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange, coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2BPOD. That's B2BPOD. We hope to see you there.